Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. And welcome to another Mission Unstoppable Radio and TV. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. I'm going to take you on a mission today, and our guide is going to be Carrie Hummingbird. Now, Carrie is the host of the Soul Nectar Show. She is a soul guide. She's an award-winning author of one of the most courageous autobiographies I have ever read. Uh, she is also an intuitive subconscious explorer. Wow. Carrie shares her oftentimes disturbingly raw, honest, painful, and ultimately beautiful transformation in, in the form of her life from her diagnoses through borderline personality disorder, manic depression, bipolar, and she has, has fed her soul through these spiritual tools and healed herself, which is absolutely amazing. And her book is called Awakening to Me. She has over 20 years of experience in leading by inspiration. She has a special power for empowering women, and she likes them to become the artists in their lives, which I think is really uh, exciting. She's certified in energy medicine by the Four Winds Light Body School. She's certified as a spiritual coach by the Artist of the Spirit Coach Training Program. Uh, Heather Ash Amara, certified in empowerment and firewalk training by Sundor, and she is a certified warrior goddess facilitator. Wow. <laughs> she is the current <laughs> president of the Austin chapter of the National Association of Professional Women. And Carrie has also the founder of Skills Not Pills movement. Wow. <laughs> Carrie, <laughs> that's so exciting. Welcome. Hi. Well, thank you for having me on the show. What a blessing to be here. And you know, this wonderful broadcast, you're inspiring people every week. This is great. I love it. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. You know, one of the things that really scares people is mental health. Mental health <laughs> is a very is scary. scary. And, and it might even be more scary for the person who's diagnosed than the person who, who you know, their families and, and, and those in, in the community. But I know from my own personal experience, I have a brother um, who is diagnosed with a mental health illness and uh, been misdiagnosed many times. Um, and it can be very challenging and very scary. It can't. Well, because that's, that's your biggest tool, right? According to our Western culture, the biggest tool that you have to navigate your life by is right here. So if this thing isn't working, oh yeah. no, oops, that's not yeah. going to work out very well, right? And, it, you know, and that really colors a lot of your perceptions, you know, so if you're, you know, if your if your cup is really muddy, so to speak, then it's really hard to um, interact with others in a way that's clear and transparent and vulnerable. When you know, when you're not even really sure what you're perceiving. So yeah, mental, mental. The mind is a dangerous place to be. I often tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, like honestly, and I did say it. It, it was an extremely courageous book. You held yourself out there for, you know, 
criticism for for people who are cruel and mean and whatever and also for people who who really need to learn from your experience and 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 just you know like myself who just went kudos to you carrie kudos to you for being so brave you know because it's amazing it's really amazing and you know i know many many people who would never have gone as far as you did uh but what a journey what a journey you've been on yeah, I I was a very unwilling participant in the in the creation of that book. <laughs> I really didn't want to write that book, but I was guided to write that book. I was actually um, I I finally decided to heal, you know, and I think that's the decision that you have to finally make, you know, before before anything is is going to shift radically. You've got to make that choice that however you've been doing it isn't working, and you're willing to try anything. And even love yourself. Well, that's the scariest thing of all. In that journey, when you finally begin, there's a lot of awareness. And awareness is something a lot of people avoid, right? We, that's right. why we take the pills. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we don't yeah. want to be aware of it. You know, we'd rather pretend it's not there. So awareness is the biggest step. And as I started my journey of awareness, I started opening to realized that there was um, a consciousness bigger than my own, bigger than outside my body. You know, I, I thought it was just me and I was alone and I was inside this physical reality all by myself and I was having these horrible experiences and I felt very alone and separate and it felt very dark. Right. When I started this spiritual journey, which is way different than 20 years in psychotherapy, which I think contributed to the thought tunnels and me feeling in a dark place, to be quite honest. When I uh, started healing and I opened to this awareness, I started opening that channel to something bigger than me. And this message came in, you need to write this book and be completely 100% honest, transparent, and vulnerable. Don't hold anything back. And I (laughs) the first question was, why? You know, why? And it said, you're going to chart the course out of madness. Wow. (laughs) Wow. You know, and so many people would not have been able to do that um, because it doesn't put you in a very flattering light for much of the book. A lot of it, I'm like your biggest cheerleader going, yay, Carrie. (laughs) Because you know me now. You've seen the proof of it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen the proof of it. And and I'm like, ooh, look at her go. But I'm sure, you know, when you're going through it and and part of the really um, unfortunate part was that while you were alone and not alone, I mean, you have your family, but they were also hiding from their role and their participation in, in the beginning of your, your, you know, the borderline personality disorder, if you want to call it that they, you know, your mom, uh, your dad, these, these participants, you know, hid, you know, in shame from you and, and gave you shame that you didn't have to carry around for, for a lot of your life. Shame was the original wound. You right. Know? The, the shamanic path, the way we think about things is that the source of suffering, we, we look for the source. We don't look to fix the symptom. Mm-hmm. We look down inside the rotted tree, down through the root system, all the way down to the very first thing that started, the dis-ease. And for me, that was discovered in a healing session with my first mentor, Gary Starnes, where he was, you know, he was curious. He actually, he specializes in helping people with PTSD. And, and he, he has a theory that all of this is PTSD. 
it's, it's not, you know, these various millions of diagnoses. It's PTSD. Something traumatic happened, period. You made a story up about it. It needs to be healed. Right. So, you know, so the shamanic journey is that you take that journey through the subconscious, you allow the visions to come in from source, from spirit. You're the hollow bone. You, you're not projecting it. You're just witnessing. And what he witnessed was right from one years old. I had a, an incident. Um, and I don't know how, I'm not going to get too, too out there with this because I, I don't know who's watching. But uh, I will say that it was my first sexual abuse. One years old, my natural right. father. Right. My mom walked in, saw it, had tremendous shame. And as a little one-year-old, think about all little children. They want to rescue their parents. You know, as much as parents want to rescue their children, children come in so innocent, so loving, so pure. They want to rescue their parents. And that's exactly what I did. I took all that shame and I went, mine. And my whole life, it lived around my heart. It colored everything. Everything right. in my life until he took it out. He took it out, my, my teacher. I've never felt shame since. And I think that's how I'm able to do this journey mm-hmm. is because I'm not constantly being triggered by that. Right. I, you know, I'm not. And I think a lot of people, they can't be honest because they're triggered by shame. They're triggered by guilt. They're triggered by blame. The domestication system. Yeah. The, the, the quote unquote fire is gone from it. So it's just a story. It has nothing, there's no emotional attachment any longer for you in that story. Exactly. Yeah. And I like the part that you brought up about people not wanting to own their, you know, their part of the thing. Because when somebody is having, um, you know, a mental moment, I like to call it now, I guess. <laughs> when somebody's having their moment, you know, and they can't process something traumatic that happened. What happens in the family is the family wants to disown that. Mm-hmm. Because every single person in the family plays a role in that. Mm-hmm. There's actually really interesting research. If people are interested to go out and look up research on group dynamics, there's very interesting subconscious research about the, the roles that different people play in their families that end up, they play the role out in their communities, out in their relationships. They play it everywhere. And my role was the cleanup crew. I took what everybody didn't want to own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's an overwhelming burden at some point. Of course, I fried my circuits out. Yeah, yeah. So you, in your head, you were thinking, I'm tough enough. I can do it. I'll just take it. Yeah, I'm a warrior. You know, yeah. I'm like, I'm yeah. like this big soul that came in and like, yes, I can yeah. do this. You know, yeah. and I, like constantly, I'm always taking on more than I can handle. Not anymore because I always check in now. Right. But up to this point, yeah. And, and you get overburdened by all of that unprocessed emotion. So I married a narcissist, empath narcissist. It's like the perfect combination. And what is a narcissist? You know, I don't want us to, to sit here and everyone start projecting on my ex-husband. Right. He had his own suffering. All that means is the person who can't process their emotional experience. It's too much, too painful. They just can't even face it. That's a narcissist. The narcissist says, that's not me. I don't have that. It's not my fault. I, you know, that's what they do because it's too painful. Yeah. So, have, you know, have compassion. Yeah. Well, I have compassion for, for everybody involved, really. But, the, you know, it was what was interesting to, as you go along your journey and, and, you know, as the reader, we go, oh, here she goes again. Right? 
And as the writer, you go, here I go again. <laughs> you can guess what's coming next. <laughs> I kept thinking the book was over, right? I kept going, oh, this book is done. And I even confess it in the book. I'm like, this book was over. And then I did it again. Yeah. And then you did it again. Oops, I did it again. Uh, and and we all, we all, you know, I, I don't know if suffer is the right word, but we all fall into that trap of, of those, you know, re- the groundhog day, you know, pretty much reliving those same experiences and same experience. Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep attracting the same men? Why do I keep gaining and losing the same 20 pounds? Why do I keep, you know, why do I keep doing this? I know better, you know better. Right. And, and yet we, we can't stop ourselves. It's like, we know what the ending is going to be, but we do it anyway. We do it anyway. And it has to do with the energy of engagement. You know, it's, well, it has to do with a couple of things, energy of engagement and also overwhelming um, predilection in that area. So overwhelming emotional uh, experience that, so for example, you know, I cheated a lot in my, at the end of my marriage. Why was I doing that? What was I looking for? I was looking for someone who didn't criticize me because I was criticizing me all the time. My ex-husband was criticizing me because he was my mirror. I was looking for somebody that liked me, just anybody. And if they even liked me like a thimbleful, that was enough. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I'll do anything for you because you like me like a thimbleful. Right. And and you fell in love very quickly. It quickly oh. became love. You know, that I love you, I love you, I love you. And like at first I thought, is she looking for her dad? Is she looking for, for fatherly love? Is she looking for love, you know, acceptance, uh, Whatever it was, you, you, you were the one who knows what you were looking for. I don't. Um, and yet we all, you know, again, as I said, we all fall into that trap. There's something in it for all of us. Why do, and, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you talked about therapy versus, uh, the spiritual work or even coaching. Cause I always say that coaching is not about really going back. It's, a, it's like a nanosecond. It's a perspective change and boom, you're, you're living your future forward again. And, like when you talked about going into therapy and, and reiterating the same thing for years and years and years, what are you doing? You, you're attracting that same energy over and over and over by talking about it. You haven't changed the conversation yet, right? And and so this is why people get stuck. They're stuck. Be- and why, why am I still doing this 20 years later? Because you haven't stopped the same conversation. You have to have a new conversation. You have to, and you know, and I think a lot of people uh, don't realize that we're living in this quantum universe. And yep. the stories you tell with powerful emotion come, they bring it to you. The universe That's is law like, of attraction. Okay. And it's epitome. Here it is again. And I also like to think of it as. Do you spirit. still like That's, it? Um, <laughs> Do you still yeah. like it? <laughs> so try, you know, <laughs> I, you would think that I thought I was making progress, right? That's why yeah. I kept going. I kept going to psychotherapy because that's what they told me I had to do yeah. to get better. I had to go to weekly psychotherapy. And there was all this fear if I didn't go. And, you know, but I, at some point you think, I think now, I think at some point, didn't you realize that wasn't working, you know, like going there, but there's this, there's this pleasure that people get from venting. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, it's a, it's really part of the victim corner on the triangle, you know? So I talk about, I don't know if your audience is aware of it, but the, the triangle of disempowerment was a huge teaching for me. There's at one corner, the victim. Another corner is the rescuer and another corner is the perpetrator. And I was fully ingrained on the victim corner of the triangle of disempowerment. 
Mm-hmm. And my husband at the time was a perpetrator because he was perpetrating on me, right? By criticizing me, et cetera. Right. And then if he was nice to me, then he would flip over to the rescuer side because now he's being nice to me and he's saving me. But eventually he became more the perpetrator than the rescuer. What's the difference between the perpetrator and the rescuer? The perpetrator doesn't, you know, is doing something you don't like. <laughs> That's the only difference, okay? And here's the fun thing. He was also on the triangle of disempowerment, hanging out on his victim corner. Right. And, and your I'm mom per- was too. I'm the perpetrator. Everybody in my whole Everybody sphere, was there. Except my, well, my dad was kind of the rescuer. Yeah, you're right. So everybody was doing that. And the key to healing is to break yourself of that whole pattern where you step into personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Now, is it my responsibility that I had molested at one years old? No. No. But it, can I respond to it now? Yes. Yeah. I absolutely can. And not only were you looking, you know, for love um, in all the wrong places. <laughs> many <laughs> but, places. Many places. But you were, but you were choosing the same persona and personality who could never give it to you. So you actively chose people who were never going to love you. So I could experience the rejection over and over again. Right. Because there was something in that victim and in that rejection that felt good too. Well, because like we were talking about uh, engagement and non-engagement. So there's something inside me. There was something inside of me, and I think people could resonate with this, where I saw the negative pattern and it was just, it felt so good in a horrible way right. to just engage in it again. Do you know right. what I'm saying? Right. Like, like that. Let me just slide right off that cliff again because it feels so good when I hit rock bottom. We know the end of the story. It's like kids like to hear a story 20 million times, right? You know the end of this story, but I'm going to, you know, it's a new, it's a new person. So I'll, I'll play the game with them. Even though I know I'm going to have heartache at the end of this. And yeah. And so I can difficult. keep having faith and love and trust. See? And I keep getting these messages along the way, you know, trust and trust your heart, trust your heart. So it was such an interesting thing to finally come around to what that truly meant. It didn't mean trust my delusion in my brain about the love in front of me. That was an illusion. It wasn't there. It meant trust my heart that I was connected to all that is an right. infinite supply of love. So you know, <laughs> I, I was listening to, um, is it Alberto? Alberto? Alberto, Alberto Vialdo. I love him. Yeah. He's so I, was, I was listening to um, a video that he was talking about and he, and you know, he does, there's a blend of Western and, you know, Eastern philosophy and, or spirituality and, and uh, Western medicine, if you, if you want to call it that. And, you know, he talked about if you get a snake bite, you're going to go to the hospital and get a doctor to fix you. You're not going to go to spirit and go, oh, help, help, right? Um, <laughs> yet after, you're going to go, spirit, why did the snake bite me? Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's a really great analogy, I think, to me. So as somebody who was either diagnosed or misdiagnosed, I don't know, um, with a mental health you know, uh, label, would you recommend that everybody go and get a shamanic healing? Would you recommend they all do this work? Or do you think that there's room for therapy or room for pills or room just to kind of figure it all out first? What do you think? What's it's your a really, it's a really good question. 
I think that the, I took pills for 13 years. So just so people are kind of aware of that. I did weekly psychotherapy for over two decades. I mean, I really started. What kind of medication? Can I ask what you were taking? I was on so many because I kept flipping back and forth. I started the medication after my first child. Mm-hmm. Because by the way, that also triggers all of your childhood wounds and stuff when you have a kid. <laughs> so did you have postpartum and, too? I did. I had a terrible postpartum depression after my first child. I was standing in the shower and I saw like this deep black hole open up in the shower in front of me. Like I actually wow. had a delusion of a big black hole. It frightened me sufficiently to go and get help and to get on medication. So I went on medication specifically because I had a little baby I had to take care of and I was seeing a big black hole in the middle of the shower. That's a problem. Right, <laughs> you know, right. I'm his mama. I need to be able to take care of him. So I, that's right why I got on the medication. And I think it was fine for a short-term you know, a and did they just think effects. that you're, you're postpartum and it's going to go away and, or did they think more? At that point, um, I think that they just thought that it would, it would subside, you know, once the postpartum passed and actually went to a mom support group, you know, for other moms that were having postpartum depression after the kids. That's a kind of a normal thing. You yeah, know, for hormones sure. Hormones are all wonky. And however, I, now that I'm more conscious in a different place, I'm aware that there were probably other solutions like nutritional solutions that would have helped me far more Mm -hmm. and that, yeah, some subconscious exploration, you know, that, that whole emergency in my life was an invitation to realize that I had deep traumatic childhood wounds that needed healing. Right. That was an invitation. And Although I know that the therapists that worked with me at the time had a big heart and a, and a genuine want to help, you know, it wasn't part of some conspiracy to like keep me in psychotherapy. I absolutely don't believe that. I think that everybody that is a psychotherapist and a psychiatrist, they got into that field because they have a passion for it and they want to help people. I just think it's misguided. I do think that, you know, if in this day and age, I would first go seek somebody like a hypnotist or, or a shamanic healer or somebody that could really help me navigate, you know, where is this challenge coming from? Is this nutritional? Is this karma? Is this my childhood? What is this? I would be navigating from that place, not from give me a pill and fix it. <laughs> you know. So this was the first encounter that you had any idea that you had anything wrong? Let's say. No, you- I mean, I was in psychotherapy most of my life. Oh, know? okay. Okay. <laughs> but I had never been, you know, I'd always been able to manage it. I was a coping, you know? Right, right. Now, here's the thing. Um, a lot of people had experienced the kind of childhood trauma that I experienced because it was zero to five. It was pretty severe. I mean, I saw, I yeah. witnessed my first stepfather try to throw my mother off a third story balcony. Wow. That's traumatic. Yeah, you know? very. He beat us up. That's traumatic. You know, so that's the level of. So here, here are two daddies. About. Two daddies that, whew. One that abused, sexually abused me and one of them that tried, there was a violent drunk and I was hiding in my room every night with the dresser against wow. the door with my mom in the room with me, both wandering out. Yeah. Terrifying. And my mom is freaked out and I'm like realizing my mom doesn't know what to do. Right. Uh-oh. You know, like I'm, no parent here is good. You know, I love my mom. But, well, she, your mom, but your mom, okay, fair enough, your mom, num- husband number one, your mom took you away from that situation. True. Right? But okay. he, yeah, but he really, uh, he messed you he up. He was not in control of yeah. himself. No. You know, he had his own childhood issues. Right. Yeah. So. So, but in fairness <laughs> to her, at least she believed, well, she saw it. She couldn't, but some, some women see it 
and go, no, and don't do anything. And my mom was incredibly brave because that was in Texas at the time. Yeah. Not the most conscious place back in 1969, 70, right? Just just saying, love you Texans, but not the most conscious place. They actually would uh, order to see pictures as proof of child abuse at that time. They wouldn't take someone's word for it. Wow. They wanted to see it happen and then they believe it. So my mom's like, you know, bollocks not to that. Yeah. <laughs> Show me. Taking her out of here, you know. So my mom was really, really brave. And she wasn't making a ter- tremendous amount of money at the time. You know, if you think about those times, 1969, a woman, sure. a single mom, that's hugely brave, you know, to, to take that journey. And she took it by, you know, leveraging the next. So she had, she had stepdad yeah. number two. Okay. So stepdad number just, one was an abuser. She was her boss. Yeah. Was there a stepdad, another stepdad after that? So my natural father and then my first stepdad, uh-huh. two different examples of not good fathers, you right, know? Right. And then my, my second stepfather is my dad. And okay, he's, he's the dad. He, yeah. He just recently passed, but he's been with me since I was five years old. Mm-hmm. And he retrained, you know, he worked very diligently to retrain my brain, you know, so, to help me. <laughs> because I, I, cause I'm really big, you know, I work with, with, women after, you know, midlife kind of thing. And so I want to, I want to get this right with you because what do you think your mother did? Cause I always say that, you know, we have this neon sign over our head that attracts people, that energy, right. That attracts. And as healers, you and I, um, it's very, very attractive to people who abusers and people, addicts and people, you know, who are very good at hiding who they are. Um, and yet, you know, our sign is going, come here, we'll help you. Come here, we'll help you going like this we'll help you stay here you know and so I too married an abuser and an alcoholic and and somebody else like I was married twice and somebody else who who wanted mommy to look after him very different in their approach but very much the same innate you know help me you're gonna look after me kind of thing um and so what do you think your mom did to t- to turn that neon sign off her head from these two abusers personalities to find a guy who was like a good guy. I think that she realized that she couldn't save them. You know, that she could save herself. So you think she, she changed her internal message? Yeah. I think that she, she finally realized uh, that she needed help. Mm -hmm. You know, she wasn't going to just charge off and do it all on her own. So how long was she alone? Between husband two and three, not very long. Not very long. <laughs> I think not even. I mean, so the you learned your pattern from mommy. <laughs> yeah. I think there was an overlap. My mom wanted more for me than anything when I left my ex-husband. Just be alone. Just be signal. Just be on your own. Just live life for you. Just, just, just. And I was like, well, you never did that. You know, I was yeah, like, what yeah, are you yeah. doing? Well, say not as I do. And it was so uncomfortable because, yeah, because I was breaking not only my pattern but also. Um, you know, just generational patterns sure. around, you know, if you look at through back through history, this is not just my story. This is every, almost every woman in America and across the world, sure. this feeling that you need to have a man in your life in order to be safe. Right. You know, that's a big pattern. And so, yeah, I was working with that pattern and it's funny because I finally got to the place where, you know, right before I met my sweetheart, this is beyond the book, right? So beyond the book, I kept my healing. A happy ending. Yeah. You know, and I, I was, I was still kind of, I was still looking in every single corner of every room that I ever entered to see if he was there. You know? 
and looking at all the dating sites, like scanning, he's somewhere here. And finally I realized the creator, the consciousness knows everything. And I, I could, I could search and search and search and it's looking for a needle in a haystack. I'll never find it. It, the answer is just surrender, right? Just surrender it and realize that I'm fine. I'm fine. Live, you know, be grateful for what is. So mm-hmm. I finally got to that place and I had a huge ego shift at that moment because I was actually doing this 12 step program on, you know, love addiction. And I was <laughs> reading the first, the first premise of the 12 step is you're not in control. You know, God's in control. <laughs> And I had such a panic. Like I actually went into such a state of panic over this. I'm sitting in my lazy boy chair, the blankets on my lap. My dog is on my lap and I'm reading this and I'm having this like awakening. And I feel like my brain shifting like tectonic plates. And I have this incredible panic that I'm dying to the point where I had to text somebody and say, I'm sitting in my lazy boy chair. My dog is on my lap, but I think I'm dying because I'm reading this premise about how God's in control am I okay? <laughs> Friend was like, Carrie, you're, you're okay. having an ego death. You're okay. Yeah, Just sit yeah. in the chair. And oh, I, I haven't did. heard that before an ego death. That's interesting. It's an ego death. And you know, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because after that I let it go. I was like, you know, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful and blessed. And I trust, I finally had trust. I knew that if I kept doing my work on me and I could really love myself from the inside out, that I couldn't help but attract the perfect partner to help me love myself, you know, in a, in a mirror kind of way, like being together, supporting each other. And then learning, I finally realized it was a learning opportunity. It wasn't like, save me. It was like, Oh, you're going to show me who I am. Great. Next classroom. You know, like we're going to dive in. It's not about like rescuing someone. It's about learning two people learning together by witnessing each other you know, in a love partnership, that's the biggest classroom there is. Okay. So, so let, yeah. let's, I, I love this conversation. I can go off on tangents. You know? Yeah, no, I love the conversation and we've had this conversation, you know, before and I've had it with several people, but if, if on a spiritual level, you chose your mom and dad to have the experience that you, that you've had in this lifetime and, and you chose it because you said, okay, you know what, either I'm going to pay back this karmic debt or I'm going to, to do this learning, you know, while I'm here this time. Um, if that's true, if that's the case, right. Um, and you went through all of this stuff to do what you had to do, it, you know, to come out this end is, is it not about you, but about who you're supposed to teach in the end, do you think? Well, that's interesting you say that because I have, I have gotten, you know, I, I'm constantly talking with intuitives, you know, and people, because now that I'm hooked into this whole realm, like all my people are intuitively connected, you know, they tell me all their downloads. And apparently that's true. Apparently I, I was here to learn about this, these kinds of dynamics so that I could, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher, mm-hmm. teacher soul. So I'm here to like figure it all out and process it internally figure out how to explain it to others and teach. So yes, I've been teaching people and people do say that the way that I explain it makes sense. I'm able to put words to things that are very difficult to express. In other words. Tell me about your, your, your former role as an artist. Oh, you know, I, okay. So I did hone the gift of explaining things. 
I had 20 years as a technical writer. So 20 years in high tech explaining how to use software to people. Very boring job. But it gave me, you know, really a lot of skills and how to understand complex things and communicate it in a way that people would understand Mm -hmm. who have like a varying level of understanding. So I would have to be able to communicate with programmers who were like really, really off in some other world of, you know, high techie, 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 you know, and like don't speak English, (laughs) you know, (laughs) speak tech and then translate tech into like regular human, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I do now. I I navigate these subconscious spaces, which are very nebulous for most people. And then I can bring them back and put it in human speak. And, you know, and I'm also an artist. So the visual cortex processing was really strong on me as well. So I'm able to see things. I'll often get visions or images from spirit. And those are great ways to explain things. It's kind of like if you notice most great teachers, like if you look at um, Don Miguel Ruiz, for example, in the four agreements, he tells you a story. He paints a picture because that's the way we learn. We're like little kids still. We never grew up. (laughs) We just thought we did. Yeah. I love that book. And I know that you, you, you mentioned that book quite a bit in your, in your book. It's profound. I feel like every third grader should be handed the four agreements. Yeah. as curriculum for school. It was interesting though, when you, when you, you were reading and you go, I know how to read. I graduated college, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not getting it. It's not, it's not going through. And I think, I think, you know, those four agreements, um, the one that hits me the most is be impeccable with your word because that strikes me at a place. And I recently had something, you know, happen and, and, that's what really hurt me the most is I know I'm impeccable. I know that. And so when you attack me there, there's a sore spot. So what happened? You know, like what's going on? Well, so, okay. So, so a little the psychology on that one, because I have explored this in depth, Frankie. I'm sure you have. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that some psychology school should award me a PhD. I'm just putting it out there. Okay. The unofficial PhD. But the interesting thing is that it's the cracked identity. The cracked identity is the one that gets wounded because mm-hmm. it's the one that's like, I am bad. I am unworthy. I am not good with my words or whatever it is. The story is telling, you know, and the compensatory identity is the ones like, I would never, you know, I am beyond reproach. You know, and that one is the one that's perfect. And we all have a little bit of that in us. You know, we sure. all have that setup. It's, this isn't like a mental illness thing. This is just like the way we are as humans. Yeah. We've got that wound and we like have this thing go, no, I don't want, I don't want to get hurt that way again. And it comes and compensates, but as it compensates, it takes us out of our heart because mm-hmm. the true place is to go into that vulnerable space whenever you feel triggered and to say, oh, that hurt. Oh, why did that hurt? What do I believe about myself? What am I telling myself under there? Ooh, be kind, be kind, and just speak to yourself like a friend, you know, to right. really love on yourself. So the, the growth that I had there, which I was so proud of myself for, and I'll, I'll, is as a coach, I'm always telling people to learn how to respond versus react. Like, oh, yes. sit and, and just don't react. Like, sit with it, breathe, whatever, right? And, and I did that, and, and I changed the narrative. And I just said, you know, dear God, spirit, um, take the anger away because I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't, doesn't make me feel good. I don't enjoy it. And just take that emotion away from the situation for me. And, and 
the trigger and all of it. And I don't need to defend or respond or do anything. I just, okay. It is what it is. Right. And it was so helpful. And I felt like such a grown up <laughs> at this, at this tender age. <laughs> Well, you know, Frankie, really, that's the don't take it personally, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and this is so key. This is such a key moment for me because I took everything personally. I'm an empath. I feel everything. I how is it too, not personal? I take it all personally. I feel it all. Like, how is that not personal? If I can feel it, it's mine, right? Mm-hmm. No, that was discernment. It's not your stuff. You know, the other person's reality, there's 8 billion realities on the planet right now sure. concurrently operating. <laughs> Based on our filters, you know, That's based right. on our muddy glasses and what we think is true and what we were told and our experiences and the, those little tiny unconscious agreements that we made all the way through our life every single day. You know, I don't know how many choices we make a day, but it's got to be billions, each one of us. Billions of choices, billions of decisions, subconsciously deciding things. And then that gets all passed down through the DNA now you've got all your ancestries, billions of decisions too. How confusing is that? So we can't take it personally. We just have to realize we're all in a bunch of soup. You know, somebody said, just remember that we're floating on a rock through space and it will make things easier. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's it puts things in perspective. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to mental health for a moment because there's probably people listening and, and I know that they're trying so hard. I mean, pain is a horrible thing to have in your life. And I have a, a lot of physical pain. Um, but mental pain is just as, as, as much, if not more anguish for a lot of people. It stops them from having the life that they want to live. And, and I know many people today who are in that position. And I just want, you know, I know that they're fighting for mental health to be a thing, you know, and, and for people to listen and not just ignore and think that you could just stop thinking that way because you can't just stop thinking that way. Well, it's an energy. Yeah. It's energetics, but it's also attachment. So this part, people aren't going to like, no, I went through this part and you're not going to like it. I'm just warning you right up front. Everything you attach to, there's a reason why you're attached to that thing. In order to have a new story, you know, to reinvent yourself, which is what I ended up doing, you've got to be willing to let go of everything that identifies you as this or that. Because let's face it, that story is not working out. That storyline is a bummer, you know, and you want a different storyline. So you've got to lose the attachment to the storyline. In that process of losing the attachment to the storyline, you bump up against things that you don't want to let go of. Because it gives you something. So, for example, if you let go of the idea that, you know, as soon as I let go of um, my diagnosis, for example, and I said, okay, well, that's no longer my crutch. I can't claim that I did all these, you know, I can't take more actions now and say, oh, well, that's because I have this diagnosis and I can't help it. Once I reinvent myself and I become a soul guide, can I have that behavior anymore? No. That would be completely, you know, hypocritical if I did. So see how my healing to become a soul guide means that I have to let go of being able to keep acting the way that I was acting. I actually have to become response able. Able, yes. 
in my life. And I keep saying it that way because I don't, I, I don't like the word responsible because in this culture, it means you're wrong and it's judgment and the ju- judge's gavel is coming down and you're a bad person and just beats people up. That, and that's this whole dogma stuff. I won't get into that right now. But the dogma in our minds, I mean, response able. You, you're a conscious creator. Now, when you go to the psychotherapist's office and you go to the medical industry for anything, they look at you and they try to find what's wrong. They look for what's wrong. And they've got a book filled with lists of things that are wrong with all these people. And then they just look in the book and figure out which one you are. And they're guessing. Okay, they're right. guessing. They're making it all up. They're right. spotting it in the quantum field. When you go see the shaman, the shaman sees you in perfect health and says, there's nothing wrong with you. I want to help you see that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help you see what I see. I see you as beautiful. I see you as healthy. I see you as, you know, needing to clear that little bit of energy and look at you. You're back to normal. You were normal underneath. They right. see the way Michelangelo carved the statue of David. The statue of David's underneath all the stone, perfect. And what's, what's Michelangelo carving away? What is not? the statue of David. You're never going to lose yourself in this process. You're only going to lose all the stuff you made up that wasn't true. Right. And we all, we all have a a, a storyline that isn't true though. You know, we all have a narrative that isn't true because we make up tons of stories, We make up tons of stories and people make them up for us too. And our subconscious doesn't know fact from fiction. It just knows what was input into it. Mm -hmm. So we all actually walk around with a story that's not true. Don't we, you know, I'm just aware that I'm telling the story now, Frankie. So I tell better stories. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We're making it all up. So make up a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? You can be happy or you can be right. (laughs) That's very true. Very true. And more people want to be right. And the people who want to be right more than happy are very unhappy people. (laughs) Yeah. My ex-husband would be in that camp and, you know, it it can kill you actually. Yeah. Yeah. So after the story, after you found you, uh, created, you know, the new you. Uh, tell us what happened after. Well, I mean, my first life of all, I like that. So I like. I, I just want to go back to you had the hundred days of celibacy, oh. <laughs> uh, and you go, like, I can't do that. And I'm like, what? I was like saying, Frankie, you can't have a piece of chocolate for a hundred days. <laughs> I'm telling you, I didn't know how I was going to get through that. I had so to catch people up. I had this spiritual guide. It, this was near. I don't know, year two of my journey, I think. I had How many this, years was this whole thing? Oh, gosh. You know, it's been, uh, well, it's been six or seven, I, I lost track, six or seven years. That book, I documented the first two and a half years of the journey. Wow. It's been amazing since then. I just can't write the next book yet because I'm so busy, but I've got like so many mystical stories to share. It's incredible. <laughs> but but from going from, you know, a diagnosis of, of, personality disorder and manic depressive and bipolar to where you actually felt, Oh, I'm normal. How many years was that? Well, I published the book with full confidence in 2014. And I started the journey in like 2012. So that's, you know, two and a half two, years, two years, two and a half years, but it I felt wasn't like ready more to, work. It felt like longer for some reason. I, you know what? Because I wasn't ready to really go out there until now. Like, look at that because 2000, that's another three years 
two and a half years or so for me to feel confident going out and talking about it now mm-hmm. where I'm fully, I'm fully aware that there will be people stuck in their stuff and their programming who will attack, you know, because out of their place of programming, what I'm saying can't possibly be And their value be system and all Because of that. everything I'm saying is challenging their value system. Sure. So they're going to lash out. And I expect that, you know, I expect that that could happen. I don't invite it, but no. I expect that it could happen. Yeah. And I needed to be in a place to do really good service in the world. I needed to be in a place of total integrity and honesty and knowing in truth that I'm good. I'm solid because I'm not going to, um, you know, get a bunch of people's hopes up who are diagnosed and then not be for real. That would just, that would, that's not okay. (laughs) But you, like you said, you must've had 20 years of, of therapy prior to that. Those I did. So 20 years of, of therapy versus two and a half years of intense spiritual training and doing. And, and I mean, wow. Like it was difficult, but it wasn't difficult when you think about it. I learned a lot from the psychotherapy. Um, you know, I was very dedicated because I was in individual psychotherapy. I was also in couples psychotherapy with my ex-husband periodically through our, our time together. And I would say that it was super helpful in navigating thought tunnels and understanding dynamics. I wouldn't say that it was like a waste of time at all. It helped me to understand myself, but I think that I could have understood myself so much quicker if I had found this path. But of course, I wasn't meant to. You weren't ready. Right? Yeah. You weren't I wasn't ready. Yeah. ready. I wasn't ready to let the story go. I had way more screwing up my life to go before I could actually come to this place. <laughs> and how, how are your boys? My boys are amazing. My boys are very supportive. Um, they've been through a lot with me because, as you can imagine, um, the single mom, the days that the boys were with me and I would have, you know, these devastating experiences with these, you know, delusions I had in my mind about these various men and then having those bubbles popped, right? Yeah. That just destroyed my self-confidence. But I needed to go through that. So, you know, what were they witnessing though? Look at this. They were witnessing the process, the metamorphosis. Because I made it to the other side and because I became the butterfly that I was meant to be, Look what a beautiful gift I gave my kids of, of self-trust and faith made it through the whole process. I just showed them inner transformational work. I just showed them awakening and how it's done. I showed them that it's messy in the middle and it's okay if it's messy. It's okay to, you know, have the same thing happen again and again. It's frustrating, but you're learning each time. And the more you can stay out of self-judgment, you know, the more you can, you can reach that place of blessing. So now, you know, they've seen it. And my older son is like, <laughs> told me a couple of months ago, he said, mom, I want to heal all my past lives. <laughs> I was like, wow, let's get started. You know, <laughs> like, so not, no blame that? on mom. Mom screwed me up. No. And you know, Good I think that they know that, um, I'm here for them too. Like I, I, all subjects are open and that's the beautiful thing. We can talk about anything together. Mm-hmm. No subject is off limits. You know, let's have the conversation. Let's talk. If you're having a difficult feeling or you're frustrated or, you know, anything like that, like, let's just have a How old are they now? Um, my older one is 18 and the other one's 14 now. Awesome. And now I've got two little, little ones, my stepchildren who are eight and 10. So, nice. and they don't know anything about this because they're kind of, you know, they, they know that I, they know I'm being interviewed. So they're out of the house. You know, that's yeah, all they know. Yeah. It's like, we have to leave because mommy's being interviewed. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
So the universe brought you uh, somebody to love, um, oh somebody gosh. who would love you. He is amazing. He is, you know, the thing I love about this relationship is that it's perfect for me right now in my development. It's perfect for the place I'm at. It's this open space of realizing that the stuff that arises is in the Maya, in the illusion a lot of times. And to have a partner that also is aware of that, that can be, you know, grounded and secure while the illusion shifts around and you get to the clear place and then you can connect again from the heart. It's like, I'm so glad to be with a partner that doesn't, doesn't like believe all that stuff and dive right into it, you know, but like sits back with questions like, Hmm, you know, I wonder what this is. It's a blessing. It's a real blessing. Plus he's a hottie, you know, so that doesn't hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Of all the, of all the modalities that you've trained in now, what's your favorite? Mm, My favorite, you know, my favorite wisdom just for anyone to explore is still the four agreements. I think that's so empowering because whatever you're aware of, you can change. And that's the founding principle. How you change it is up to you. But being willing to take that journey to not believe everything you think and to explore, can you, when you're having a difficult moment, when you're having an argument, can you step out of that and can you use whatever tools you find to flip it inside, upside down, around, explore it, let it go, and see what comes up? Can you do that? Can you take that journey? I love I love it because the Toltecs teach that you can be the artist of your dream. That's such a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Still my favorite. There's modalities I've learned for doing that, but the, the premise that you could even do that is powerful wisdom. Very. I love that. Yeah, it's I love that. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> That's why I'm teaching that. I love teaching that. Reinvent yourself because you can. Yeah. You can totally. Uh, so, you know, you can get outside. So here's, here's one little trick I just learned to be the bowl and not the soup in the bowl. So you can actually do a little meditation with yourself to like expand and just be, imagine that you're the container through which your experience of your life is happening. If you identify with the container You can put anything in the container, but if you identify with what's in the container, like let's say there's a bowl of soup, if you identify with the soup, you're the soup, period. You can't be anything else. You're the soup. But if you're the bowl, you can have any. But if you're the bowl, man, you can put ice cream in there. (laughs) You can have cereal. You can have oatmeal. You can have pasta. If you just be the container, you can have anything. Yeah. Stop identifying as being the soup. Like, don't. Well, be I always soup. say that this, this, <laughs> this right here, this is the car I get to drive while I'm here. Yeah. Right? <laughs> exactly. The I like a newer model. Drive. I would like a newer model, but yeah. uh, you'll get one eventually. Eventually, yeah. But then you won't be Frankie. I won't be her. And you got to be the best Frankie possible. I mean, this is your one chance to do Frankie, like, you know, just amazingly. Like, I hit it out of the ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Well, I just want, again, you know, um, if you, if you go to Carrie's website, which is carriehummingbird.com, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, check out everything that she does, but especially get her book because 
honestly, if you want to open yourself up to honesty, if you want to open yourself up to courage and bravery, and I mean, I thought we just wrote a book and I bared my chest, but you really did bear your chest. Um, the, the, the secrets, let's say the, that you bear, that you bear witness to that, that you offer us those gems and the wisdom in, in your, uh, in your pain, let's say, um, and, and in your, you know, and, and, and in those blessings that happen for you, I mean, like I said, I was there cheering you along and going, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> don't do it again. Don't it's do like that. those horror movies. No. Like, don't go in the house. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the light on, Carrie. Turn it on. Get out of there. But, but yeah, I mean, everybody should read it. Everybody should read it. And because we all have that, I think we all have a wounded somebody inside us. I know I do. And I think a lot of us do. And to retrieve that part of yourself and bring it home is a real blessing. And for you those know, and to find are, somebody you can confide in. You yeah. Know, Brown talks about that. Like find the one person that you can, you can tell the truth to. That's even courage. It's you. Speak even if your it's heart. you. <laughs> even if it's just you. Speak Inner your heart. Mirror. Yeah. Because admit that's it. hard. So many people don't admit the truth to themselves. Admitting I mean, is the best thing you can do. It's like an elixir of, of love. You know, it's like just admitting it. Yeah. Yeah. So kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you for reading it too. I appreciate that. Oh, it was really good. And I really cannot wait to hear volume two because I think it's just going to be a whole lot of happiness. There is. It's a very mystical journey because once that journey started, I got to tell you, since I published that book, oh my goodness, good thing I keep journals about my spiritual retreats and my experiences because they are out of this world. I can't even believe them sometimes. It's incredible. And yeah. it keeps expanding. That's the thing. This is a fun journey. Personal growth doesn't have to be torturous. It doesn't have to be on the couch like, you know, every week, like beating yourself up and flogging yourself. It can actually be like this amazing mystical journey where things just get resolved like that. And you're like, how did that happen? I feel better. That problem's gone. It can be amazing. So I want people to, you know, be encouraged. Like take the journey. Well, Carrie. Our time, our guy, our guy, Carrie has come to the end of her trail. Uh, and I want to thank you for joining us on Mission Unstoppable today. What a, what a great guest you've been and a great guide. And again, you know, awakening to me, you know, the hummingbird, uh, she flew and, and I'm so glad that she was able to do that in lightness and step out of her darkness. So congratulations on that and to each and every one of you who are here joining us now in a visual way i i appreciate that and i thank you and we will be back on thursday with frankie sent some more we're going to talk we're going to the movies so we're, it's all movie day on thursday so we'll see you back here on facebook live at one o'clock thursday take care everybody bye bye